Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Crombie REIT Q3 Earnings Conference Call. At this time, all lines are in a listen-only mode. Following the presentation, we will conduct a question-and-answer session. If at any time during this call you require immediate assistance, please press star zero for the operator. This call is being recorded on November 10th, 2021. I would now like to turn the conference over to Ruth Martin. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good day, everyone, and welcome to Crombie REIT's third quarter conference call and webcast. Thank you for joining us. This call is being recorded in live audio and is available on our website at www.crombiereit.com. Slides to accompany today's call are available on the investor section of our website under presentations and events. On the call today are Don Klo, President and Chief Executive Officer, Clinton Kay, Chief Financial Officer and Secretary, and Glenn Hines, Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer. Today's discussion includes forward-looking statements. As always, we want to caution you that such statements are based on management's assumptions and beliefs. These forward-looking statements are subject to uncertainties and other factors that could cause actual results to differ materially from such statements. Please see our public filings, including our annual information form for a discussion of these risk factors. I will now turn the call over to Don, who will begin our discussion with comments on Crombie's overall strategy and outlook. Glenn will follow with a development update and a review of Crombie's operating fundamentals and highlights. Clinton will then discuss our financial results, capital allocation, and approach to funding. And Don will conclude with a few final remarks. Over to you, Don. Thank you, Ruth, and good day, everyone. And thank you for joining us for our third quarter conference call. Over the last several years, including during the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, our team has steadfastly executed on our long-term strategy. Our third quarter showcases the results that can be achieved with resolute focus and hard work. Our team remains focused on portfolio quality, delivering strong financial results, and improving our financial condition, prioritizing our people and culture, and mitigating risk. We ground our everyday work in these long-term strategic objectives, ensuring that we achieve solid results today while never taking our eyes off tomorrow. In a world where businesses report quarterly, it is easy to get excited about short-term results. Though we are mindful of examining results through a long-term lens, I'm very pleased with our excellent performance this quarter. Throughout the pandemic, the value of grocery-anchored real estate has been increasing and gaining further recognition for its stability. This real estate is the backbone of our business. We further optimized and diversified our grocery anchored portfolio through modernizations and developments, acquisitions of grocery assets and dispositions of low growth assets, while remaining committed to advancing the quality of our grocery anchored properties. Our operations and leasing teams are highly skilled and experienced and their hard work drove outstanding fundamentals in AFFO and FFO, lease renewals, new leases, and all-time record occupancy levels this quarter. Our grocery anchored portfolio is underpinned by our strategic relationship with Empire. We recognize this as our sustainable competitive advantage and distinct opportunity to drive growth. Aligning our strategy with Empire enables Crombie to expand and diversify our real estate portfolio 
with solid risk-adjusted returns. We are committed to investing 100 to 200 million dollars annually in empire-related initiatives and another 150 to 250 million dollars annually on our major development projects. The third quarter saw the achievement of major milestones in a couple of these projects. I'm very pleased to share that our first major mixed-use residential project, Zephyr, at Davy Street in Vancouver, reached full occupancy this quarter at strong rental rates above our original pro forma. We also reached substantial completion on Leduc in Montreal. Glenn will go into further detail on this and other development updates shortly. Achieving optimal portfolio quality required an ongoing focus on strengthening our financial condition. It is critically important to maintain a strong balance sheet in order to successfully fulfill our strategic objectives. This quarter, our commitment to balance sheet improvement is evidenced by continued improvement in debt to EBITDA and debt to gross fair value metrics, our high levels of liquidity, and our continued access to multiple sources of capital. Clinton will share more specific information on these metrics later, but I wanted to recognize the excellent behind the scenes work of our finance and accounting teams. The work they do makes it possible for our real estate business to thrive. In fact, it is our people in all areas across the organization who position us to continue the successful execution of our strategy. Our nimble culture has allowed us to adapt quickly and positively to the many changes we've faced over the last two years. Our team has remained productive while demonstrating inspiring resilience. We're thankful, very thankful, for the work they've done to achieve great results this quarter. I'm even more excited for the work we'll continue to do together in the years ahead. With that, I'll now turn the call over to Glenn, who will provide an update on our developments and operational highlights. Thank you, Don, and good day, everyone. Bromby achieved record economic and committed occupancy in the third quarter at 95.8% and 96.5%, respectively. New leases and expansions increased occupancy by 653,000 feet, while we experienced 261,000 square feet year-to-date of net lease expiries, vacancies, terminations, and space adjustments. The largest contributor to the new leasing activity in the quarter was 77,000 square feet of new leases at our Scotia Square Complex in Halifax, Nova Scotia. These leasing results are driven by the strong fundamentals in our 287 property portfolio, highlighting the resilient and stable nature of our grocery-anchored assets. At the end of the quarter, 121,000 square feet was committed to new leases at an average first-year rate of $20.70 per square foot, which will boost future NOI growth throughout 2021 and into 2022. Vectom and major markets represent 90,000 square feet of this committed space, including 47,000 square feet at our Scotia Square complex. Lease renewal activity continued in the third quarter with 187,000 square feet completed at an increase of 3.7% over expiring rental rates. Driving this growth was 157,000 square feet of renewals at retail plazas with an increase of 4.1% over expiring rental rates. An increase of 5.7% was achieved for third quarter renewals when comparing expiring rental rates to the average rental rate for the renewal term. Year to date, Crombie demonstrated portfolio stability with approximately 48.5% of renewals occurring in Vectom and major markets, and year-to-date renewal activity consisted of 808,000 square feet with an increase of 3.2% over expiring rental rates or growth of 6.4% when comparing the expiring rental rates to the average rental rate for the renewal term. We have become a significant developer of major mixed-use real estate in the country's top urban markets. 
these major developments play a key role in our long-term strategy of accelerating NAV and AFFO growth. As Don mentioned, we are thrilled with the lease-up results of our first major mixed-use development, Zephyr, located on Davie Street in the west end of Vancouver. Zephyr reached substantial completion in the first quarter of 2021 and full 100% occupancy in September, a remarkable achievement. We are grateful for the hard work and leasing effort of our joint venture partner, West Bank. Our second major mixed-use development, Leduc, located in Montreal, reached substantial completion in the third quarter. Leduc contains 387 residential rental units and 26,000 square feet of commercial GLA anchored by an IGA grocery store, which opened in August. Residential lease-up is currently underway up to the 12th floor. To date, 28% or 57 of the 207 available units have been leased. The remaining floors, or 180 units, are expected to be available for occupancy later this quarter. Construction continues at our Bronte Village development as we remain on track and on budget with substantial completion expected late in the fourth quarter of this year. Tower A, which represents half of the 480 units available, welcomed its first tenants in the third quarter. Interior finishing of suites continues in Tower B. In addition to the operating Farm Boy and Rexall, ground floor retail leasing negotiations are underway as the two buildings near completion. In addition to the milestones mentioned previously, our development team continues to work hard to advance projects in our development pipeline. Construction of CFC3 in Calgary is well underway. This 300,000 square foot customer fulfillment center will house Empire's Voila e-commerce home delivery service in Alberta with delivery to customers expected in 2023. Also, we're working through the entitlement process for our Broadway and commercial mixed-use development project in Vancouver. Penhorn Lands, located in Halifax, is now classified as a near-term project. We continue to work with our development partner, Clayton Developments, to enable a 26-acre mixed-use development community at this prime location. Brunswick Place, also in the Halifax market, moved from long-term to medium-term in Q3 in recognition of the strong market fundamentals in downtown Halifax. Brunswick Place is currently zoned for significant mixed-use and or residential use. As Leduc transitions in the pipeline as a result of reaching substantial completion, we added one additional project, Toronto East, a medium-term development, which maintains our total major development pipeline at 30 properties with the potential to unlock significant future value. And with that, I will now turn the call over to Clinton, who will highlight our third quarter financial results and discuss our capital and development funding approach. Thank you, Glenn, and good day, everyone. On a cash basis, same asset NOI increased by 8.2% for Q3. Primary drivers of this growth quarter over quarter are reduced bad debt expense, strong occupancy, and modernization income. Adjusting for what management estimates to be the impact of COVID-19, Q3 same cash NOI increased by 2% compared to the same period in 2020. Strong collection rates continue, with 99% collected in the third quarter of 2021 and 100% for October. For the quarter, AFFO per unit was $0.25 cents and FFO per unit was $0.29. Cents. AFFO and FFO payout ratios improved to 89.1% and 76.5% respectively. The increase in AFFO and FFO for the quarter is primarily a result of increased net property income due to income from completed developments and acquisitions, strong occupancy, modernization income, and reduced bad debt expense. 
This is offset, in part, by a loss from equity accountant investments resulting from operating results from residential development projects as they move towards income stabilization and increased finance costs due to the addition of new unsecured debt and lower capitalized interest on developments. G&A as a percentage of property revenue for the third quarter was 5.6% or $5.7 million. G&A, excluding the impact of unit-based compensation of $1.7 million, is 4% of property revenue. Crombie remains focused on continuously improving our balance sheet and overall financial condition. We have significantly de-risked our business through extending our weighted average term to maturity and maintaining ample liquidity, with $512 million of liquidity available at the end of Q3. Our unencumbered asset pool remained consistent at approximately $1.5 billion, or 29% of Crombie's total fair value of investment properties of $5.1 billion. Our debt to gross fair value at the end of Q3 was 45.5%, a significant improvement from 49.4% at Q4 2020. The primary drivers of the improvement in our leverage ratio were a material year-to-date increase in fair value of investment properties and joint ventures and significant debt repayments funded by the $100 million equity issuance earlier in the year. Strong execution of our major development projects contributed to approximately $140 million of fair value growth. We expect more value creation to be recognized as these projects reach stabilization over the remainder of 2021 and throughout 2022. We ended the quarter with debt to trailing 12 months adjusted EBITDA at 8.95 times. The increase in trailing 12 months EBITDA is driven by reduced bad debt expense and increased income from development activity, acquisitions, and modernizations. While we are committed to balance movements, Crombie recognizes the importance of retaining flexibility to pursue strategic growth initiatives. A key component to that flexibility is access to multiple sources of capital to fund investments in empire-related initiatives and our development program. Throughout the course of the year, Crombie demonstrated its ability to access these different sources. Crombie had a successful issuance of $150 million 10-year unsecured notes at an interest rate of 3.133% during the quarter. The unsecured notes issuance is aligned with the goal of increasing weighted average turn to maturity, harvesting interest rate savings, and repaying indebtedness, as well as funding growth activities. We have improved and optimized the quality and asset mix of our portfolio by developing and acquiring assets in Canada's top markets, as well as recycling assets through traditional and partial dispositions. On October 19th, Crombie announced that we have entered into an agreement to sell a 50% non-managing interest in our Point Claire CFC to Nexus REIT. The total price of the sale is $98.2 million, including the purchaser's assumption of $61.5 million mortgage related to the property. This transaction allows Crombie to capitalize on the strong demand for industrial assets. While speaking to the quality of our retail-related industrial portfolio and our attractiveness as a partner in completing joint arrangements, where Crombie retains both an ownership interest and ongoing property management with Empire. Continued growth and development activity is important to Crombie as we anticipate it will deliver strong NAV growth and ultimately achieve strong AFFO growth once these projects are stabilized. I will now turn the call over to Don for a few closing comments. Thank you, Clinton. I'll be frank with you. I'm excited about this quarter's results. We are committed to our long-term strategy and I'm confident our strategy will continue to work in the years ahead. Before the pandemic hit, I believed our team was well positioned to adapt to conditions that are outside of our control. I now know this to be true. 
One reason we work to maintain an adaptable and engaged culture is that we know we must remain vigilant about potential risks and opportunities. Our industry today is facing several risks. COVID-19 is still with us. Government supports are changing. Inflation is evident. Supply chain shortages are significant. However, at Crombie, I know we are backed by a strong foundation. We are a long-term company that continues to push our investments in empire and developments forward. We are laser focused on improving our financial metrics and deleveraging our balance sheet to position us for the ongoing successful execution of our strategy. Over the last few years, we have embarked on important work around enhancing our organizational culture through a lens of diversity, equity, and inclusion. We know that it is this focus on who we are and how we show up every day that keeps our team engaged and committed to our values. This in turn enables us to deliver on our strategy well into the future. That concludes our prepared remarks. We are now happy to answer your questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request and your questions will be polled in the order they are received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press star followed by two. And if you're using a speakerphone, please lift your handset before pressing any key. One moment for your first question. Your first question comes from Samaya Sayad with CIBC. Please go ahead. Thanks. Um, just firstly, starting with uh, the Duke, now that it's in substantial completion, uh, can you give us an update on how um, the development yields on that asset are compared to, say, market cap rates for similar um, stabilized assets? Hi, Samaya. It's Glenn. You know, our yield estimate for Duke is in the 5.5% yield on cost range. In terms of market cap today for an asset like that in Montreal, um, Donnie, I'd be venturing a guess, but it's probably, you know, sub 4%, but that's um, that's in the range, I would say, Samaya. So there's a very nice development pickup uh, on that project, but it's probably in the range of 375 to 4% cap, but probably more in the 375 range. So certainly Duke, uh, when stabilized, will give us a very nice development return. All right, it's a nice spread there. Um, and then I wanted to touch on occupancy by your, I guess, different market types. It looks like the rest of Canada is um, a little lower than Vectom and major markets. Um, what do you see are the prospects for leasing gains in, in that slice of your portfolio? It's a little, it's a little bit um, interesting because the rest of Canada is actually very strong. We have a few properties from the days of Zellers, from the days when Target didn't take Zellers, uh, small market properties that have um, higher occupancy, but basically are de minimis to our portfolio, like less than 1%. So there is a bit of sort of latent vacancy there that drives rest of Canada down a little bit. But I would say our leasing prospects in Atlanta, Canada have been very strong. All over the country, some I have been very strong. We've done a lot of deals in the past year with PET, uh, with Discount, with QSR Restaurant. The leasing environment in our portfolio has been very strong, as witnessed by a record 96.5% occupancy this quarter. So I would say that there's a little bit of an anomaly that rest of Canada looks like it's weaker. Now, we're still picking away and doing great leasing. The team is doing good work in those uh, individual markets. 
three or four markets where we got those individual properties, and we're working hard to, to make those stronger. But our general leasing has been very strong, whether it's major market, Vectom, or rest of Canada. Okay. Um, and then maybe, Don, if you can uh, give some uh, background to the Point Claire sale, if, if that's an outcome you thought about from the start, or and if you should expect a similar strategy for more for more down the line uh, industrial developments. Yeah, sure, Samaya. Um, you know, we I think we said it. You know, over the last three, four, five years as we embarked on this development uh, plan and strategy, that we would sell one of the first whatever three or four or whatever two of the first six, seven, eight. Um, just to number one, prove concept, prove value creation, and also as Clinton's often said, you know, multiple sources of capital. Um, it's it's a very good source of capital, and in this case, we're very pleased with uh, our partner. Uh, we think they're going to be a very strong partner for us, uh, and potential with future deals, hopefully, um, with strong shareholder backing. So uh, and and strong management. So we're we're pleased with that. Um, and it's on terms that, you know, please both uh, our partners, Sobeys and ourselves. So um, I, I think it's, it's, it's something that could happen in the future. Again, we have a predisposition to own long term, but from time to time we will sell, you know, the odd development asset. Uh, and then, in, you know, importantly also that will include land entitlements. As we've often said, we have a big land bank uh, that, um, you know, has a lot of excess value that's not recognized under IFRS. And so from time to time, you'll see over the next number of years that we will sell the odd piece of land. Um, and when you have 33 properties, it's okay to do that um, and uh, and generate some value and some, some liquidity. And, and lastly, importantly, we have to respect our balance sheet uh, throughout, you know, good times and bad. Your balance sheet, especially in the crisis like we've seen over the last 20 months, is critically important. It, it, it really saves you in a crisis and then it enables you to have, uh, you know, a higher pace growth and, and not only higher pace, but a consistent pace of growth. And so I think the optionality uh, is there for almost all of our assets, pretty well, you know, grocery anchored, the residential, the industrial are all highly sought after, the most highly sought after in the country. And, at, you know, pricing that's, you know, we think it's very good. Um, from time to time, we'll take uh, you know take some chips off the table. But in in this asset in particular, it's a very strategic asset for us for Sobeys. We wanted to find a good partner and at a reasonable price, and I think we've done that. And I think it's a good source of equity capital for us. Yeah, for sure. Great to see the progress there. Um, thank you. That's all for me. I'll turn it back. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Maya. Your next question comes from Mike Marquitas with Desjardins. Please go ahead. Uh, good afternoon, uh, Team Crombie. Um, I may have missed this earlier, but um, and I haven't had a chance to read the MDNA admittedly at this point in great detail, but I think uh, Penhorn Lands, you moved into near term. Um, I was wondering if you'd just give us a little bit more color on that site and then in terms of the, uh, the mix of how that project will look in terms of um, single-family home sales or if that's even included in that project and uh, potentially long-term income properties for Crombie. Thank you. Sure, Mike, it's Glenn. This is a very interesting site. Long ago, it was an enclosed mall, got tore down 10, 20 years ago. We developed on the front portion of the site a grocery-anchored open-air traditional center that you would see from Crombie that's very successful, nice Sobe store. 
There's 26 acres in the back that are the subject of this development. We're working with a partner, Clayton Developments, very strong local partner that's been in the HRM market for decades and a very prolific developer, so we're proud to work with them. And we're looking at developing upwards of 900 units on that site. So we're currently working through the municipal approval process with the Halifax municipality, public consultation meetings were just held, and we're working at a good pace to get all the entitlements in place. Um, the interesting part is what our ultimate outcome might be. Uh, we could, for example, just sell off these 900 units. The vast majority will be multi-res. There's going to be about uh, less than 100 townhomes, but the rest will be uh, medium-density uh, multi-residential rental. Um, but there's a possibility that we could, in concert with our partner, also be a developer and buy and hold some of these units. So we've got a lot of optionality on this site. As you know, we've got a lot of great projects in Halifax, but this gives us uh, additional optionality. So we're optimistic to get our entitlements completed um, early in 2022, and then we've got uh, servicing to install all the lights and the, the streets, infrastructure, water, sewer, et cetera, and then development will be taking place late 22, probably tw into 23 will be the commencement. So uh, we're pleased to, to move that a little bit further up the ladder, and that uh, project proposes some very interesting long-term hold for us, or it could be simply selling the lands off to other builders, and we'll sort that out as we move through the, the time. Okay, thanks for that. And then just, so would the mix mostly be rental stock, or is it uh, a mix for, for sale and, and rental? That's to be determined. I think uh, our bias is more towards residential rental, but it's possible that there could be some condo uh, on that site. So that is one detail to be to be finalized, but I think our going in bias would be that it's a very strong residential rental node, um, great uh, amenities, great transit there, uh, aligned with a strong community. So our hope expectation is probably more rental, but that hasn't been 100% nailed down. Okay, and then presumably, um, if we just assume that there is a good component of it that would be rental. Um, what would be the desire on that site in particular to perhaps not want to participate and uh, develop and hold versus the other site that you've been working on? What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best-kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. You know, I just I think I it's, a matter of, it's a matter of value creation and it's a matter of you know, managing risk. We have a number of great projects in Halifax, and Don may want to weigh in on this as well. Um, we like the Penhorn, love the Penhorn development. It'll just come down to when it's ready for development, what other projects are in the queue at that point in time, and the relative value creation opportunity. Um, we have a very strong and deep pipeline, so it's not for shortage of product that will be part of the decision. 
It'll be more just about getting to our consistency at scale of our development program, and when those lots are ready for development, um, how those that project lines up against other Halifax projects, and for that matter, other projects across the country. Okay, that that's uh, I got it. Thank you very much. I'll turn it back. Thanks, Michael. Your next question comes from Jenny Ma with BMO. Please go ahead. Hi, good afternoon. Hi, Jenny. Yeah. Donnie, you have talked a lot about the multiple sources of capital, particularly through this pandemic. I'm just wondering from your perspective, given that you know your cost of equity is as good as it's ever been, um, coupled with the disposition opportunities and also a land density, how would you rank um, the preference of using these sources of capital? <laughs> it's a good question. Um, you know, I, I'd say we, we continue to want to have all sources of capital open. Uh, and, um, you know, each of those, I'll call it markets, if I can call it that, um, you know, change from time to time. Uh, right now, honestly, they're all wide open for Crombie and all at good pricing. Uh, we're very pleased, uh, you know, whatever, unsecured debentures, mortgage markets, Partial dispositions, whether it's industrial apartments or grocery, um, you know, CMHC insured mortgages, they're all, and or issuing equity are all great uh, choices and or multiples and or spreads today. So, you know, we're being very mindful of, you know, our balance sheet, our growth rate, uh, and, and, you know, how we fund it, uh, you know, will we'll be determined in the future. Uh, Jenny, I think we've always said we'd be a regular issuer of equity. We've had a couple of years over the last 15 that have we've taken a year off because of deep discounts to NAV. Um, so, you know, but I'd say, you know, historically we've been uh, regular issuers of equity and we hopefully will continue to do that, especially when we've got a nice multiple like this. But um, but these sources, and in this case, sale of an industrial property was very attractive as well. And it opened up a channel with a potential new partner that, uh, you know, you've, at some point, we, we like to do fewer deals with stronger partners um, and, you know, hopefully do multiple deals sorry, with, with, with one or two partners or a few partners. So um, hopefully that works out here. Um, but it, it just, I think, creates legitimacy for the asset sale of an industrial property that people have been wondering what it's worth. Well, now, now you know, right? And it's, uh, it's, it's very significant and very powerful potential future source as we look forward. But, you know, we don't like selling strategic assets. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll mix and match is all I can tell you. Okay. Well, it's a good position to be in. Um, I mean, I, I guess it would be a function to some extent of uh, the, the volume of capital needs. So to that uh, end, can you remind us what your expected capital spend uh, would be for 2022 and possibly 2023, um, in addition to that 100 to 200 million that you spend on the store modernizations? But how does the the pipeline or, or the, the spend book for the next pipeline of major projects? Yeah, and so there's, I mean, what the real goal is to have the pipeline of both development and SOBEs uh, mature, I'll call it if I can. Uh, we've shown, I'll call it increasing maturity over the last five years as we've developed since Michael Medline joined in, I guess, January 17. We've been, we have a re great relationship and a significantly more productive relationship with SOBEs that not only delivers, ex you know, a, a lot of potential spending opportunities to help them drive their 
strategy, including Project Horizon. And then on our development, again, increasing maturity to try and lay out a long-term plan that unlocks the, the land values to drive development. But ultimately, both of those trying to get to consistency at scale for Crombie. Um, and so for me, um, the opportunities to spend capital are very significant and very uh, productive, if I can call it that, and accretive. Um, it's, it's an interesting thing for us. A lot of people have trouble spending money. Uh, we have very good strategy that's not complicated, it's focused, uh, but the opportunities are very strong in our view. Uh, and so we're still, you know, stay within the ranges we've highlighted and you mentioned it 100 to 200 on SOBEs and 150 to 250 million a year is our plan on development. Um, and the beauty in our development pipeline is even though we've, you know, have uh, called the last of the first six being uh, Bronte, hopefully reaching substantial completion in the fourth quarter. There's a lag on when we recognize the value creation, which will continue into 22. And then we've got one project beyond that that we're actually working on CFC3. But we have a number of other projects we're working on and including some that don't fit quite the major development uh, category where there's things like spokes in the hub and spoke network that are you know, 10 to 15 million that uh, also add up and are strategic for SOBEs and strategic for us in that they're in the e-commerce category. And so it's not just the major developments, it's development in general that would add up to that, I think, you know, 150 to 250 range. And, and so we're, we're really, you know, adapting to the needs of SOBEs uh, and also the, you know, timelines of development, which uh, the good news is our development pipeline has two types of profiles, really. One is projects that take a long time, three, five years, like we're working on Broadway and commercial in Vancouver or the, pr the projects we've just completed, the major mixed use, but it also has these, call it shorter timeline projects, 12 to 18 months to do either a hub or spokes. Um, and that also, but you know, nevertheless, still creates significant value. Uh, and especially on a risk adjusted basis where you have 100% occupancy uh, guaranteed through a lease. So for us, that mix and match allows us, in my view, to drive consistency, it's still a little immature and therefore can have a little bit more volatility than we'd like, but we're working very hard uh, at land entitlement. We're working very hard at getting the big projects and these shorter term projects, you know, to come on in a sequencing that fits that 150 to 250, um, you know, spend on an annual basis. And, uh, and so I, I don't know if that helps you with some color, um, Jenny, but it, it's a lot more complex than it sounds. Right. So assuming some of the smaller projects run at a pretty consistent consistent level, when I just look at the, the next uh, pipeline, is it fair to say that the development spend is likely to be weighted towards 23 versus 22 when we look over the next 24 months? No, I'd say, you know, our goal, again, is to hit that 150 to 250 range and 100 to 200 on SOBEs, 150 to 250 on development and, and 100 to 200 on SOBEs. And I, I, I honestly believe we'll be able to hit that over the next few years. Um, each year. So okay. it's just where it's going to be spent. I, I believe we have significant projects to do that. Um, it's just, it's hard for you folks to necessarily see it um, because it may not only be a mixed use project. It may be a large mixed use project. It may also include smaller scale, quick hitters that are uh, nevertheless quite, you know, value creating. Um, you know, if you spend it, whatever you, you build a $10 million industrial facility, but you're building three or four of them. And they're suddenly worth 15 million at the end of the day. Um, that's you know good value creation, even though it's much smaller scale, but it fills the pipeline, so to speak, is what I would say to you. 
great. Uh, last question for me is uh, your, your industrial assets. I know it's a small component of the portfolio, um, but I'm wondering if there's any opportunities to capture upside over the near term. Um, you know, maybe you could share what the, the weighted average lead term would be for those assets and, and whether or not there are any rent steps embedded. Well, they are all similar leases, lease structures. Is that when they're signed, they're basically they re, you know have a lease step up at after five years of seven and a half percent, and so that's you know uh, that that is very consistent. And importantly, they're you know long term leases. So uh, yeah, those and as we build them, you end up with I'll call it a smoothing of you know you built some three years ago, you built some two years ago, built some this year, et cetera. Going forward, you end up with this smoothing of the uh, of the rental growth. Um, is what happens. So I don't know if that's helpful or answered quite answered your question, but well, I'm, I'm just wondering, just given you know how quickly industrial rents are growing, whether or not there's any near-term opportunity for for Crombie to capture some of that. You know what? It, it's going to be a whatever a 20-year type lease, uh, and so for us, it'll be seven and a half percent. We won't end up with a you know the large growth you're seeing in some of the industrial REITs um, mm-hmm. until until those first you know certain terms renew. Um, and then you might see it, but that's a ways off given how quick or how recent we've, you know, built our development or our industrial developments, right? Right. So. Okay, great. Well, that's helpful. Thank you very much. Okay, Thanks, very good. Thanks, Jenny. Thank you. Your next question comes from Sam Damiani with TD Securities. Please go ahead. Thanks and good afternoon, everyone. Uh, can, yeah, congrats on on a on a great quarter and uh, nice Thank to see you. the occupancy up and uh, yeah, getting getting through the pandemic hopefully here. Um, yep. Just you, when you look at the you know walk and look at these subsidies uh, turning over, you know what are you seeing in terms of the impact on the on the tenants that have been receiving subsidies on rent collections and, and bad debt expense? What, what's your what's the evidence that you have so far? You know, it's, it's anecdotal, Sam. You know, we had about 286 tenants on CICRA. And you recall CICRA was the yep. initial program that the landlord had to participate in. So we assumed that when SERS came along, we probably had 286 tenants participating in SERS. These new programs, the hospitality program that's more for hotels and restaurants and the hardest hit program, which is for the more the fitness and entertainment area, we expect that more than half of that 286 tenants are not currently on a government program. And that would be some of the fashion, some of the service type tenants. But our view is it, it has many, many, minimal impact, sorry, on us. Uh, our tenants seem to be getting on fine. Uh, achieving 100% rent collection in October, I think is, is proof positive of that. So our guess would be there might be 150 tenants in our roster that are still on some type of program. Um, and it's good that you know these two last programs are there because there are certain sectors that are still struggling. But from our portfolio, it's very small, and we think uh, you know it's been managed very well. That's great. So not much impact. And then when we look at the the fair value that you guys uh, you know reported this quarter, did you reflect the pricing on the sale of the uh, Point Claire Wildlaw facility? Uh, not all of it, Sam. Uh, the transaction closes in uh, Q4, so there is some fair value reflected in uh, in Q3, but not the full fair value impact uh, yet reflected. And are you extrapolating from that transaction across the the rest of your um, you know industrial square footage in the portfolio? 
I wouldn't say. We, we use normal traditional fair value techniques uh, throughout our total portfolio, Sam, of getting regular appraisals to monitor market cap rates. So, no, we wouldn't use a transaction per se to mark to market. We would use our regular process uh, along the way. Which yeah, and Sam, it's, it's, it's Donnie. I mean, you've seen tremendous cap rate compression, uh, as you've seen with uh, you know, the artist deal and others. And so for me, it's, uh, it's happening uh, out there in the appraisal process, as Glenn uh, mentioned, will pick that up uh, over time uh, for our industrial assets as well. That's great. And just finally, you know, the hub and spokes uh, strategy, how, how is the, uh, the strategy with the, uh, the smaller uh, facilities kind of in the, in the cities? Is it, how's that rolling out since you first announced it, uh, I guess, a couple quarters ago? Yeah, we're very pleased. Again, it's the product of the strategic intelligence sharing um, with Sobeys. Uh, we're fully, in my mind, embedded with uh, working with the team. Uh, Sobeys is led by Mark Hawley, a very strong team. Uh, and through that process, we're aware of they have artificial intelligence that's determining the optimal locations of those folks. Um, you know, at the end of the day, these e-commerce home delivery uh, processes have to be profitable, right? And Okada has proven itself to be profitable. So the locations are critical. Uh, and so we're working with them to identify sites. And, you know, one of the first ones, we actually had a site where we uh, had an empty uh, building and we turned it into spoke we had others where we've just gone greenfield and then we had others where we've had a store that um, you know had room to expand that we could turn it into a spoke because it had a lot of parking and so the maturity of it is is coming uh, and we believe there's still ample opportunity um, but they're going to take a variety of forms um, but all good investments for us and then all in my mind state-of-the-art type of uses, which uh, people would be envious of to have that kind of access to those types of uses. So, um, you know, the scale still to be determined, I think, as as, as uh, Sobeys continues to roll out, you know, the Sobeys voila, uh, I think that I, I'm, my, I'm of the view personally that it'll that the spokes will continue as, uh, you know, as, 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 as they roll out their system and it becomes you know, increasingly profitable, which is going to take a little bit of time, I believe, but it's it's still getting there, and they're working very hard at it. And but these are integral parts of that uh, that system, and we're thrilled to be having the opportunity. It's, it's a great opportunity to spend money, uh, a good investment for Crombie and Crombie unit holders. That's great. Thank you. I'll I'll turn it back. Thanks, Sam. I must be well. Uh, we did pick up all the full fair value of CFC two in the quarter. I had a, a note to myself, but I'm mistaken on that. So, yes, we did pick up the fair value in Q3. Thanks, Glenn. Ladies and gentlemen, as a reminder, should you have any questions, please press star 1. <laughs> Our next question comes from Tal Woolley with National Bank. Please go ahead. Hi, good afternoon. Hi, Tal. Good afternoon, Tal. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, the Calgary CFC, so you're under construction right now. Do we have? an estimated delivery date and yield and cost budget for that project? I would say the following, Tal. We're expecting to complete our full part of the action by mid next year, uh, end of Q2, and then we turn it over for the, you know, the heavy duty work that goes inside the building with the automation, et cetera. Uh, no particular direction on, uh, on the yield. We have a formulaic approach in terms of a certain basis point spread over market cap rate, which guides those transactions. So that 
is uniform, very similar to what we've done on the other CFC project with Sobeys. And from them, you may have asked about cost. You know, we're in the range of uh, obviously what the last uh, building we built, CFC2 uh, in Montreal. A lot of synergies, by the way, in terms of the expertise that we've created working with Ocado, working with a lot of the specific uh, experts in this field. So we've been able to leverage that expertise to really work hard to, to have costs be constrained in a very inflationary environment. As you know, there's a lot of inflation out there, and we've been working uh, well to manage costs despite that inflation, and part of the availability to do that is just the knowledge we had from building CFC2. And of course, we're, for that matter, dealing with supply chain issues on key inputs, but despite those pressures, we're still optimistic of having substantial completion of our part by the end of Q2 of next year. Um, you guys have done a great job of disclosing all of this stuff on your first initial tranche of projects. Is there any reason we're holding these numbers back now? No particular reason. Um, there's always, you know, we can certainly check and see what's changed. I think we had some uh, advice just to be careful about uh, over-disclosing, um, but I think we try to be transparent in terms of costs and yield ranges. But if there's been some uh, movement away from, call it better practice, uh, we'll, we'll certainly take advice, but there's no particular motivation for us to be other than fully transparent. Okay. And so, Glenn, just to, just for clarity, I mean, if we're at the same range as the last one, it's whatever, it's $100-plus million dollars to spend, and the yield on cost is somewhere in that five and a half to uh, whatever, Five, five and a half to six percent range, which is a tell that's helpful. Um, yeah, that's very so helpful. I, yeah. Okay. And then uh, just on the remaining residential projects there too, um, obviously the world's different from where we were like four or five years ago. Um, you know, you, again, you'd similarly been getting like these nice sort of high five yields. Should we be expecting similar yields going forward or possibly something a little bit lower, just reflecting the reality of where we are today. You know, I, I, I've told people at times, you know, we, we should be looking at, call it 5 to 6% yield on cost. Uh, on a residential, I know competitors are building, you know, in, uh, the, you know the, in the high fours, quite frankly. Um, and so for us, you know, there are cost increases, but to date there's been rental increases that match it and rental growth that we think over time will be strong. So the cap rates have, you know, um, have been, I think, compressing uh, for the most part across the, the major markets across Canada, and and the yields uh, for us, especially given, um, you know, the transition of a Sobe store to, you know, to this type of product, have, have been, you know, maintained, uh, you know, in that five and a half ish range. So we're we're able to still, I think, going forward, maintain a little wider spread than maybe some of our competitors. Um, so, uh, at least we're hopeful, but we're mindful that inflation is real, supply chain issues are real, labor is re a major problem, um, and you know, so we're we're very mindful of that as we forecast and have a lot of contingencies built into our budgets and our yield projections. Um, that's why we give you such a wide range, uh, tell, uh, is because it's it's a, it's hard to. Uh, a friend of mine said it's hard to invest right now, right? There's a lot of uncertainty out there, and the good news for us is that we. We plan it out over the long term, do it very systematically, try to drive that consistency we talked about, and, and fortunately have product where to date we've been able to pass you know, cost increases on uh, to the consumer and, uh, and therefore maintain our, our yields. But it's, it's looking like it could be more challenging for everybody as we go forward. Yeah. 
and how to the shorter term, if you look at Davie Street, which as you know, we're celebrating 100% lease up, uh, announcing that today. But on Duke and Bronte, for example, Duke, we achieved substantial completion in Q3, uh, despite COVID on, on budget, uh, on time essentially. Um, Bronte expecting substantial completion at the end of this calendar year, uh, again, on budget, on time. I think with COVID, the only remaining question marks are just the lease up timeframe. We were very pleased with Davie Street, how quickly it leased up. Um, but there are risks just with return to office, immigration, people returning to urban cores, et cetera. Uh, there are some question marks just about how long the lease up. We did share the initial lease up on Duke, the, the lower 12 floors uh, in our reporting today. Um, and we'll be reporting obviously on Bronte as it starts to lease up. But uh, for those first three projects, we've had no surprises and yields, costs, rents, all at or above where we expected them to be. And just on the Zephyr site, can you speak at all just about the performance of the commercial underneath? Because um, obviously, you know, like it's, it's, I think this is probably your, the first Empire or first, uh, pardon me, Safeway store that's kind of had this uh, dramatic or revamp. And I'm, I'm curious if the commercial performance is, is what uh, everyone was hoping for. Well, we certainly can't speak to the Sobe sales. We understand that uh, Safeway store is doing very well, but you know, the ground floor space is relatively small. There's a Scotia Bank, there's a liquor store, and there's a dental office that's opening any day. Um, so those are very strong covenant tenants that will do very well and provides direct and indirect amenities. Obviously, the grocery store is a huge amenity uh, to the building. But the ground floor commercial there is uh, is very solid, and uh, we're certainly not aware that Safeway is doing anything but good business, and there's been other buildings opening in that uh, marketplace. So. I think the Safeway store should bode quite well because it's a beautiful store. Yeah, uh, Tal, I, I was actually in the store a few weeks ago, and it was it's a dynamite store. And in talking on the ground with the local manager, that they are very very pleased with their sales, as Glenn said, uh, and it really does nicely fit with the local community. Um, it's very tailored to that uh, that community, and uh, so we, you know, their, their expectation is is only positive. And uh, and it, whether it be short, medium, or long term, and the willingness to continue to sort of work around the Greater Vancouver area and revamp, you know, most of those locations looks looks probable then. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, you know when you've got as many sites as we do. I've told the story so many times where you have sites that you bought for twenty to thirty million dollars that are now worth over a hundred each. Um, you know, unlocking that land uh, is a very significant opportunity for uh, Crombie uh, in value creation, just unlocking the land, uh, let alone building great sites uh, uh, on those on those projects. So, and Vancouver is a great market, whether it be rental or condo, as, as we all know, um, but it's extraordinary value, right, in that type of real estate. So for us, continuing down that path, it's, it's our biggest market, right? We have a very heavy weighting in our development pipeline. Uh, to Vancouver, and uh, we're thrilled with it. And yeah, there's challenges, but um, as we saw with Zephyr, a partner at West Bank did an outstanding job. The leasing happened. I think it's the fastest leasing project on the west side of Vancouver in, in, in its history, uh, and uh, and at rates well above our pro forma, let's be honest, in the mid to high fours. So uh, for us, that's outstanding work, uh, great evidence of a great partner who gets the market, and um, you know, and, and we have more opportunities. They may not quite all be Davies, but there are many of them that we think will be. So, uh, yeah, I, I, absolutely. Glenn and his team are working 
uh, Trevor Lee, his team, our development lead, uh, senior vice president, are working very hard to, uh, to unlock that value and, and to keep continuously, uh, you know, drive the consistency of investment at scale. And uh, so it's a great opportunity, a great opportunity. I think if you're looking at it from the Empire side, like you've got to be happy with how this initial process has gone because those stores are not are not the youngest stores on the face of the planet, and that's their you know they're the number one number one player in that market. So I would hope that yeah. it would be a more to come. Yeah, well, I can't speak for Empire, but I mean, obviously, the proof of the pudding is in the eating, and uh, you know, uh, have spoken with uh, Michael Medline, the CEO of Empire who did a tour in the last few weeks of a number of stores and uh, was very complimentary of both our project in uh, at Zephyr and uh, also our new project on Vancouver Island and, and Langford. So uh, the thrifty store there that we've, we've done, both of those have been great uh, outcomes. And then he also spoke highly of the new project at, uh, in Leduc in Montreal where he recently visited. So, you know, it's just, We've been doing good, solid work. One thing about us is that when you're partners with a retailer, you understand the retailer. And not every residential developer does. They have columns that don't quite fit the retail grid. In our case, when we're working from the ground up, we're trying to build something that really works well and, and are more incented to make it better for the retailer. So I think it's a really nice combination. That it's a win-win. Because it also, by the way, uh, talking to a number of residential tenants in Vancouver, it was a big part of why they located there because there's a grocery store down on the ground floor. So I think all in all, it's pretty complimentary. Okay. That's great. Thanks gentlemen. Great. Thank you. There are no further questions at this time. Please proceed. That concludes our prepared remarks. We are now happy. I'm sorry. Thank you for your time today. And we look forward to updating you on our progress on our Q4 call in February. Thank you. Bye. Thanks everybody. Bye-bye. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines. Have a great day. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.